Sunday. We are going to have two sermons. Now, don't worry, I've cut my sermon in half, so it's not twice as long. But we are going to talk about the crucifixion, and then we'll talk about the resurrection. And right in between, we're going to have communion, where we celebrate the breaking of the bread of the body of Christ and drinking His blood with the juice. But we're in Philippians. We've been studying Philippians now for several weeks. And the book of Philippians is just a real gem. It provides so much devotional material, and my heart cannot stop being stirred by it. So we are in Philippians chapter 2, and the, the text is going to be 5 through 11. That will be the text that we will be studying today. So if you would turn, if you don't have a Bible, there are some Bibles in the seats in front of you with the same version that I am using. And turn to Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. A lot of work goes into Easter, doesn't it? Easter bunnies, Easter eggs, chocolate, all the Easter things, Easter dresses, Easter bonnets. There's a lot of things that happen. I know that we got ready uh, this morning a lot longer than we normally do because we had to get the dress on the girl. And we had to put the nice clothes on the boys. And then we had to change again when they messed them up, right? And then we had all these different things that we did. And Easter takes a lot of our time. But what is the meaning of Easter? If you're here today, it's probably because you know a little bit already about what Easter is. So my goal today is not to convince you of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'm not going to show you historical data that will prove that the crucifixion happened. I'm not going to spend all my time trying to fight you intellectually to explain this. Because I believe that most of you today already believe that this is true. But what I want to spark in us is worship. We want to worship the risen King, Jesus. And to, in order to understand this risen King, we have to understand what happened on that Easter day. And so we have the perfect description of the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus in our passage in Philippians. Many people will call this an Easter hymn or a Christ hymn. So go ahead and look at verse 5, and we'll read through. And this is the word of the Lord. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's go ahead and pray. Almighty God, your word is truth. And what we hear in your word is a description of the life of Jesus. Father, as we have gathered today to celebrate this resurrection day, that we celebrate the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it can be unbelievable to some in this world. Many people will be skeptical that this actually happened. So, Father, I pray that you would 
illuminate their hearts, you would enlighten their minds, that they would see in your word the truth. Father, we have Christians here who may not feel very Christian. People who have given their lives to Christ and followed Christ, but maybe have lapsed or fallen away. But they have come back today with the hope and the promise that, that you can revive their hearts and comfort them and, and encourage them in this word. So, Father, I pray that you would strengthen the faith of those who have came here today. Father, be with me as I preach your word that I have studied this week over. Father, I pray that this would be a pleasing sacrifice to you, an aroma that is pleasing to you. And Father, once again, we thank you for Jesus, the Jesus that saves, saves us from our sins, saves us from death, but more importantly, saves us today so that we can live and we can face tomorrow. As that great hymn says, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Father, we thank you. We love you and we worship you. In the name of Jesus, through the Spirit, all God's people said, Amen. So Paul is the writer of this letter. He has been talking us through what it looks like to live a life worthy of the gospel. What it means to be a Christian. What does it mean to be a Christian? And Paul answered this over and over and over again in this, in this passage and the passage before it. And so we have him come to almost a conclusion, or really it's more of the the highlight of the entire thing. How many of you have listened to classical music? In classical music, there's some ups and there's some downs, and they're trying to lead you on a journey. And that journey gets to a crescendo. I don't know how to say that word, so don't, don't, don't throw stones. But it gets to a height, a high point, and it's just like raising up, raising up, and then it explodes with just the music, and, and you just can enjoy that. And that's what this Paul is doing. He's been talking to you about what does it mean to be a Christian. And he goes all the way up to saying, you must be humble. In fact, you must be so humble, look at Christ. And so then he tells us what we have to do. It says, adopt, in verse 5, the same attitude as that of Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus. Your translation may say, have the same mind or be, uh, have the same mind of Christ. If like you are going to go get some food and you talk to your wife and you say, hey, honey, what did you have in mind? Right? What are you thinking? What would you like? So we have to have the same attitude as that of Christ. And so he says, adopt the same attitude. And so we must have the mind of Christ. Paul knows that right, doing right, doing the right thing starts with the right thinking. Thinking the right things. And so he says, this is a description of, of Jesus' incarnation, his putting on of human flesh. Remember, in this process, Jesus did not become less God. He did not remove his godhood. There are many parallels in this passage to Isaiah 53, which is a, prof a prophecy that Jesus fulfills. So if you're looking for homework, I know everybody came to church looking for homework. If you're looking for homework, turn to Isaiah 53 this week, and compare it with this passage. And it talks about the humiliation that Jesus will experience. And then Jesus did experience that humiliation. What does the mind of Christ look like? Well, in this humiliation, we see his attitude and his action. So his humility and attitude. Look at verse 6. Who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Think about how incredible that is. Jesus is in the form of God. 
Another way to say this is that Jesus is the very essence of God. Paul is saying that Jesus is God. Jesus is God. His form is that of God. And so Jesus being God did not exploit or take advantage of the fact that he is God. He didn't take advantage of it. In fact, in his human form, Jesus did not use his Godhood for selfish gain. Some Bible translations will say, instead of exploit, they'll say something like plundered or grasped. He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or exploited or plundered. I really do like exploited here. I think it catches the meaning of the Greek text. And so even though Jesus had the full ability to use his power to gain comfort, to gain security, to gain advantage or benefit. He didn't even use it. Jesus did not need to die on a cross. He could have stopped it. He could have had his angel armies intercede and stop it. But Jesus was so committed to dying on that cross, he allowed the iron to grow in the hills that were used to make the nails that went into his hands. He was so committed, he allowed the tree to grow that was later cut down and turned into a cross. Jesus was so committed to dying that he allowed the Roman soldiers to be born from their mothers, travel across the country, and go in and conquer Israel in order for him to be crucified. Jesus was committed to this so much. And we know that Jesus is creator. And we see that he is in the beginning with God. All things were created through him and by him and for him. If that's the case, Jesus created his own death trap. And he died on it on purpose. And so we have that he did not use his power to stop it. Jesus has the highest possible position at this time. But then the Son of God, fully God, commits to being a man for the purpose of being human which leads us to his actions. So Jesus was humble in his actions. Now maybe you know someone. Maybe you have a civilian boss, or maybe you in the military have a sergeant major or high-ranking person say something like this. I'm a sergeant major. I don't need to take out my own trash. That's what my privates are for. Or maybe a boss that says, I run this company. It's not my job to vacuum the floor. Has anybody ever had a boss like that? Or I'm the principal of this school. I don't need to be concerned with cleaning up around here. What's that attitude? That attitude leads to action. If this boss or this sergeant major, or maybe let's think about at home, because that's where a lot of us live, right? We all live at home. And at home, maybe you come and you say, I've worked all day. I'm not changing that diaper. Oh, I was at school all day and I studied so hard. I can't do the dishes tonight, Mom. That's the attitude of the, hum of the human. That's our human attitude. Or maybe you turn it very spiritual. Maybe you're very spiritual. And you say, I've been studying the Bible for 30 years. I don't need someone to teach me about the Bible. I don't need to go to Bible study. What are those people going to teach me that I don't already know? I've been studying for 30, 40 years. That's a very human response, isn't it? If you have the mind of Christ, 
your actions would change. If you have the mind of Christ, you would have a different action. Let's go ahead and look at verse 7. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant. Note real quick that word form. We've seen it once before. With the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The word here in verse 7 that we saw form is the same word that we see in verse 6. It comes from morphe or morphe. Anybody ever hear of metamorphosis? There's a change in the in what? What changes in a, in a metamorphosis? The form. What it's saying here is Jesus has the same form as God. His very essence is God. And he takes on also the form of a servant. So he takes on the very essence of a human being. So now we have 100% God and 100% human. And those of you who do math are going to say, well, that, doesn't, that equals 200%. 200% doesn't work. But the reality is it does work. Just like you can have a Toyota that's also a truck. Jesus is God. Fully God, fully man. And as we study that, we notice... This word morphe means of the very essence. So I am a man, a male, and I was born a male, and I always will be a male, and at one point I will die a male. That is my form. I am in the form of a male. But my schema, my likeness, changes. Sometimes I get little white and gray hairs in my beard or in my hair. I'm no longer a little infant child anymore. My schema changes. And that's what this word likeness is. So he takes on the schema of humanity. And he humbles himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. Jesus came to save human beings from what they couldn't do themselves. Only a perfect human can save us from our sins. And Jesus did that work. Without Jesus' humility, we wouldn't be saved. Without Jesus' perfect obedience all the way to death on a cross, a painful way to go. My family watched A Passion of the Christ the other day, and there's a reason why it's rated R. It is very violent, very graphic in detail, very traumatic, just to watch. But we watched it, and we recognized it was a hundred times worse for the person being nailed to that cross. All of you probably know the cross is a death symbol. It is the executor's chair. It's the electric chair of the Roman times. In fact, the Romans did not like it so much that not a, a Roman citizen could not be crucified on a cross unless they did something treasonous. There's only one way that they could get on a cross. And so it was that horrible. In fact, you would die through suffocation on a cross. They would nail and tie your hands up on a wood cross. They would put nails in it, and you would hang from those nails. They would do that into your feet as well. They would put a wedge underneath your feet so that you can push off of your nail-torn feet in order to get some air. And then they would drop you into this, into this hole with this cross, and the cross would then stay standing up. And as it hits 
and gets into place, what do you think happens to your hands? What do you think happens to your feet? It tears. And so you are torn. Your body is literally being torn apart, and you are suffocating there on that cross. And every time you need to breathe, you have to push off with your legs to get a little air. How long do you think you could keep that up? Not very long. So they would often suffocate. And it usually takes about three days to die on average. Three days. That's what the crucifixion was. It was a horrible way to go physically. If you had the position of a president or king, would you live your day-to-day life like a day laborer? Would you, as president, go about checking the oil on the cars, you know, making sure the windows are clean at the White House? Would you do that? Or would someone do that for you? Could you lower yourself from the position of a king to working as a peasant? Could you do that? We have to think like Christ. So instead of coming to church and see what you can get, what can I get out of this service? What, is, what kind of emotional, spiritual high can I receive? How can I feel good? Instead of thinking about that, maybe adopt the same attitude as Christ and think about what can I give? What can I give to those around me? We lay aside our rights in order to serve others. My question to you is, are you selfishly clinging to your rights? I don't deserve this. I shouldn't have to clean the house. Or are you willing to serve others? And all this then leads us to a response. Because Christ didn't die on the cross just to make us feel good on Easter. He died on the cross for a response. Paul says that because of Jesus' attitudes and actions, we too must have the same mentality. We must have our hearts tuned this way. You would not want a piano that has not been tuned. We don't want Christian hearts that are not tuned with the gospel. And so Jesus reflects perfectly the character of God. He reflects it character. In fact, he is a giver, not a grasper. He, in fact, he is exploitive. He is not a victimizer. He is the victim. That's what Christ has come to do. Jesus came to die because we are sinners. Why would I be friends with sin? Why would I play with the thing that killed my best friend? Why would we play with sin? Why would we be friends with the thing that killed Jesus Christ? We would do well to remember His sacrifice. And then we need to place our trust in that He accomplished on the cross, what He accomplished on the cross was effective. We have to trust that it was effective. When God looks at us, He sees us through the lens of the blood of Jesus Christ. When Christ, one day you will all stand before the holy, perfect God. Well, I would say stand, but actually you're going to be flat on your face, worshiping a holy and perfect God. And all your life will be evaluated at that day. Everything you've ever thought of, every action you've ever done, even the things you don't remember when you were drunk, all that will be shown before holy and perfect God. Who do you want God to look at? You or Christ? Because if you are in Christ, if you are on Christ's team, 
He sees Christ. He doesn't see your sin. And that's what we want. We confess where we fail to measure up. So this is the difference between Christianity and every other world religion, every other religion out there. We don't earn our way to heaven. We don't do things to get to heaven. We don't do any work. We can't make ourselves better for Jesus. A lot of us like to dress up on Easter, but that is filthy rags compared to what Christ has done and given us. So we don't earn it. But every other religion has you work for it. All you have to do is do a trip to Mecca. All you have to do is give to the poor. All you have to do is all these things, and maybe you will get into heaven. Or maybe if you're a a Buddhist, you have to achieve a certain um, state of mind. All this is man-based work. And this with Christ, He did it. All that we have to do is confess that we don't measure up to that standard. How hard is that? Everybody in this room already knows. I can't measure up to Christ. He said, turn the other cheek. He said, love your enemies. Man, I hate my enemies. How can I love them? Jesus is better than all of us, and we don't measure up. He's the standard. And so we confess where we don't measure up, and then we turn from our old selves and our own selfish ways, and we turn to Christ. We look upon Him, and He changes us. That's how change happens. It's through Jesus. So this is why we're doing communion. We know that communion was instituted by Jesus on the Passover. The Passover happened a few days before Jesus' crucifixion, or the, the day before his crucifixion, or the night, depending on how you do the time differences. And in Mark 14, verse 22 through 25, says this, As they were eating, he took bread, blessed and broke it, gave it to them and said, Take it, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. Verse 24 says, And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I tell you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Jesus knew what he was about to experience. And he instituted this last supper, this communion. So as we prepare to remember the death of Jesus, this ordinance is a means for you to order or to, uh, to worship Jesus. It's a, a way for you to examine your heart. Before you take this cup, you examine your heart. I'm not going to go into that because that's what Barney's going to do. But you need to examine yourself. And if there's any, anything unsettled in your life, you need to make it right before God. That's how we start the process of worship. It's through confession and repentance. And then we are moved into worship. So one of our elders will come forward, Barney, and he will conduct communion as we remember the death of our Lord, a Savior. Back in Philippians. Back in Philippians we go, starting in verse 9. So that's good news just in and of itself. Jesus died in our place. But today is Easter. 
we remember that Jesus did not stay dead. On the third day, he arose. Some theologians will call that exaltation, glorification. They have lots of fancy names for it. But that means that God arose. He then ascended to the Father. God raised Jesus from the dead on the third day, giving us a visible symbol of his acceptance of the sacrifice of Christ. The resurrection is proof that what Christ did on the cross was effective. It's proof that what Christ did on the cross happened, that it was a, for a reason. It was not an accident. If Jesus conquered death, he could not remain dead. If he paid the debt, the only way to be sure it was accomplished is by the resurrection. The debt, the penalty of death, is fully satisfied in Christ's resurrection. This is what we see, and this is what we do when we celebrate Easter. And so we have the first thing is that because God has exalted Jesus, it's Him we worship. We worship Him. Our text says in verse 9, For this reason God highly exalted Him and gave Him the name that is above every name. The text says that Jesus is lifted up over everything. He is in the highest place. He is put in first place. If you consider the Olympics, they have a, first, or a, sec, a third, a second, and then a first place position. The highest place is for the winner. Christ is number one. God has placed Him on the highest spot. That is Christ. He is placed in the superior place. He is the firstborn is what they say. He is in first place. Through Christ's work on the cross at redemption, God accepted His work and placed Him somewhere exceptional. And there's three things I want us to get out of this resurrection. The first is that it is recognizable. The second is that it is real. And the third, it remains. The resurrection is recognizable. It did not happen in a mysterious way. It did not happen in a hidden chamber behind a second house on the third corner. It happened publicly. We read about it in Luke verse 24. And just a heads up, the reason we celebrate church on Sunday is because that's the day that Christ arose. And so every Sunday is Easter. In fact, we should all come every Sunday expecting Easter, just so you know. First, the more you know. Luke 24 verse 1. On, that, on the first day of the week, first day of the week, Sunday, very early in the morning, they came to the tomb bringing the spices they had prepared. Remember, they have to put some nice smell goods with the body because the body is going to stink. They went in but did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men stood by them in dazzling clothes. So the women were terrified and bowed down to the ground. When you see an angel, you hit the ground. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Asked the men. That's a pretty telling statement, isn't it? Why are you looking for the living amongst the dead? Or among the dead? Asked the man. He is not here, but he has risen. Imagine being the first people to hear those words. Imagine the shock. Maybe going through some of the cycles of grief. Your denial, right? This is 
This can't be true. He can't have, he was dead. We saw his body ripped to shreds. We saw the Roman soldier grab a spear and shove it in his side and blood and water came out. If anyone thinks that Jesus did not die, they're really questioning the professionalism of the Roman army. Imagine a group of soldiers saying, oh, that guy's dead, and then being wrong. That would be hilarious. They would not be doing their job very well. So he was dead. He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee. Jesus was not taken by surprise at this resurrection. He knew it was happening. He forewarned them, saying, It is necessary that the Son of Man be betrayed into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and rise on the third day. And they remembered his words. Jesus did not do this in a secretive way where it could not be discovered. He showed himself bodily to many people, which really goes into the the second part, is that it's real. This resurrection is real. Not only is it recognizable, but it was very, very truly real to those who he appeared to. Jesus appeared bodily to the disciples and others. As Luke records it in verse 24, as they were saying these things, he stood, he himself stood in their midst. He said to them, this, this he is Jesus, peace to you. Imagine Friday night going to bed knowing that your Lord and Savior was killed. A man you had followed for three years, anticipating the arrival of the kingdom, was put in a grave. How do you think you would have felt Saturday? Pretty lousy. How do you think you would have felt Sunday? And then all of a sudden, now there's all these rumors floating around. Who and where is the body of Jesus? Someone must have taken it. And then he, ar- he appears before you, and he says, peace to you. Now, obviously, his words did not have an effect because they were startled and terrified and thought they were seeing a ghost. Now, there are some people who believe that Jesus was resurrected spiritually, but not bodily. And we deal with it right here in our text, in Mark and Luke. He says, why are you troubled? He asked them. And why do, why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, because a ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you can see I have. Having said this, he showed them his hands and feet. But while they were still amazed and in disbelief because of their joy, he asked them, do you have anything to eat? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. If he was a ghost, where would that fish go? Boys and girls, young, young ones. Have you ever seen a skeleton and then see a skeleton try to eat something? What does the food go? On the floor, right? So the disciples would be waiting to see if anything fell out of Jesus, if he was a ghost, right? And so Jesus was alive, bodily alive, in his form, in his own flesh, he was, he was there. And this is important for us to understand because Jesus did not then shed his human skin like a snake. He maintained his full human nature. And then it remains. So we see in the resurrection that it is recognizable. It is real. 
But not only that, Jesus retains full humanity as well as full deity. He remains resurrected. Let's go back to Luke as our guide in Luke 24, verses 50 through 52. It says, Then he led them out of the vicinity of Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was carried up into heaven. After worshiping him, they returned to Jerusalem with great joy. It doesn't say that he teleported out of there. It doesn't say that he just disappeared. No, his whole form went up into heaven. This shows that Jesus Christ is alive, fully alive. And this is important because there's a result of the resurrection. If you're sitting in here and you're like, oh, this is great, a great story, I love it, I, I listen to it every Easter, but then you don't do anything about it. What does it mean? What would the disciples have done if they had said, man, that's cool, Jesus came back, said, gave us a blessing, and then he bounced out. But Jesus gave them also some commands, and those commands we have inherited. And it says, go into all the world to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's a result, and that result we see in verse 10. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Did you hear that word? Every. Every knee. Not, not if I agree with it. Not if I think it might be true. Not if I've lived my whole life like a heathen. Every knee will bow. Whether you like it or not, you're going down. And you will worship this Jesus. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. What does it mean to be Lord? It means that He is a ruler. He is the authority. He is over all things. And why is He doing this? To the glory of God the Father. Do you hear this language? This is the language of worship. This is worship language. God through the Apostle Paul in our, in our passage in Philippians, is saying that we will worship the risen King. If you're a Christian in this room, your heart should be stirred a little bit. You should be getting a little, maybe butterflies, I don't want to use that word, but if you should have a little bit of a, a stirring in your soul about this story. Because if you're on Christ's team, His victory is your victory. Everybody on the football team that wins the Super Bowl, they get the ring, don't they? Even if they sat on the bench the whole time. We sat on the bench the whole time. And Jesus did the work. We don't contribute anything to this victory. This is all God. You know, a soldier will get a unit award for the, the, the heroics of his unit, even if he was in the rear with the gear. And he gets to wear that the rest of his career. I have several that I have no idea why they, they exist on my uniform. Because I didn't do it. Someone else did it. But our unit was awarded that. Christ won. If this passage, if this part of this passage does not bring you comfort, maybe you aren't on the same team as Jesus. Maybe you're not wearing the same jersey. If the idea of bowing before Jesus makes you a little nervous, 
Consider why. I love how C.H. Spurgeon said this when he was reflecting on this passage. In fact, he preached this passage after someone in his congregation died because there was a prankster that came up, stood up, and started yelling, fire, fire, in a crowded building full of thousands of people, and they trampled somebody to death, a young guy. And so he came up to preach, and if you read the whole sermon, he talks about how sorrowful he was this week. It was hard for him to prepare and how just distraught he was. And then he comes to this. He goes like this. Ah, beloved, have you ever felt that unity to Christ? Have you ever felt a unity of desire with him? If so, you will find this rich with comfort. But if not, if you know not Christ, it will be a source of grief rather than a pleasure to you that he is exalted, for you will have to reflect that he is exalted to crush you, exalted to judge you, exalted to condemn you, exalted to sweep this earth of its sins and cut the curse up by the roots, and you with it, unless you repent and turn unto God with full purpose of heart. There are no halfway Christians. They don't exist. We don't see that in the Scripture. And because Christ is risen, all humanity will worship Him. The question is, will it be now or will it be on the day of judgment where your worship will be fear and punishment or will it be full of joy because you've been long expecting this? Because you are related to Jesus Christ. You are an adopted son. The language used by Paul is that of a victory. He is talking about a conquest. He says that Jesus Christ has conquered death, sin, and the grave, and now stands as the reigning champion. Easter is a victory celebration to those who love and know Jesus. We are going to begin our song, our final song. Ms. Verna, if you would come forward. And we would, we're going to sing about our risen King. Gary.